Welcome to The Edge, the official podcast of Bad Sage, brought to you by the world's leading underground construction equipment company, Ditchwitch, proud to support the sports you love. I'm Steve Brigman, and I'm joined by the host of Bad Sage Television, Aaron Martin. How are you, Aaron? Steve, I am doing well and looking forward to today's show as we have a returning guest familiar to everybody at the Bass Edge audience, and that is James Niggemeyer as he will be talking about rising water conditions, something uh, certainly fitting for this time of year. Well, that's for sure. It's always great to hear from James. Well, then, let's get it started. Get her like that one, boy. Good job. I don't know of any other sport that offers the challenge of bass fishing today. Oh, did you see that? Yes, I saw that. That was awesome. Watch for the fish to pace the bait. What do you think of that, huh? That's full contact fishing right there. You're listening to The Edge, the official audio program of Bass Edge. Well, Aaron, this sure has been a ton of rain around, I guess, a lot of the country. Uh, in the last week, and I know I really ran into a challenge in a little fishing trip I just took. Well, uh, you know, there has, there's been a tremendous amount of rain, and it's it's widespread. It's not just, you know, the normal kind of uh, focusing in on a particular geographic area. It seems like the entire Midwest has just been pummeled. And I know you said you were thinking about doing a little pond fishing. Uh, did you run into a little bit of muddy water during that excursion? <laughs> well, I sure did. i tell you what, we were down in Texas, uh, North Texas area, and... Uh, they had had four inches of rain in the in the couple of days preceding, and of course, uh, the area we were fishing was like two ponds, one fed into the other. Well, the upper pond was just chocolate milk. I mean, you couldn't see. I mean, visibility was you know four or six inches. It was really as muddy as it gets. But that's the particular pond that that has the bigger bass in it. The lower pond was muddy, but it was a little clearer. So. Uh, so, you know, it's kind of discouraging, you know, you, you, you look at it and I'd been planning to go down there for a long time and, and, uh, you show up and it's like, oh my gosh, all this time I've been thinking about this and look at this pond, man, it's just, just chocolate milk. But, uh, but, but you know, you go fishing and you do what you can do and you make whatever adjustments you have to make to, to catch some fish. Well, now, did, in your experience, did you find that, because I know you fished a lot of uh, rivers and, and also uh, larger tributaries, you know, during high water or incoming water uh, conditions, did you find that it's similar with, you know, kind of the smaller bodies of water as well? Well, I think so. I mean, I, I, you know, what what we found was uh, we we had always fished. These are ponds that I've fished before. These have kind of been in my life before, and we had always fished them with just plastics and jigs and that sort of thing. And we started off trying that and absolutely had no success. But uh, we eventually, I just eventually decided to put on the biggest, biggest gaudiest spinnerbait I could I could find. Took a white uh curly tail grub as a trailer something that would just move and displace as much water as possible make as much vibration in the water as possible and by gosh on the second cast after i put that spinner bait i caught we caught our first fish and uh, it was a little three pounder and then we got spinner baits on everybody's rods and by golly uh that that vibration, that movement was uh, was was the key, and we did catch a bunch of very nice bass on spinnerbaits. Well, and I think that was a, obviously uh, 
you don't need me to tell you, but certainly a good choice because of what you speak <laughs> of. You know, when the visibility is is that um, low, you know, they're they're really depending on that lateral line for kind of their their feeding um, capabilities. And you know, I've seen it uh, before too, Steve, to where like for instance, like the let's say the Red River down in Louisiana. You know, that mm-hmm. has, gets a tremendous amount of obviously flow and muddy water that comes into that. And I, in particular, I can remember one event that I was down there fishing. Same situation, high water, a lot of current coming in. We already know, based upon previous conversations, you know, that new water that's coming in, that's, that's cooling it down, but it's also it's adding oxygen and, and nutrients uh, to the water. So that's a good thing. But the other thing is, is all that sediment that is coming in, eventually, you know, that starts to settle. And what I have found is that actually kind of that top, you know, maybe part of the water column, maybe six inches, maybe a foot, um, and obviously that's going to increase as, as that sediment starts to settle. But that's really what you want to key in on. So if your bait is dropping down below that, a lot of times those fish or those bass will use kind of that uh, difference in, in visibility, and they'll set right there below that hunker up against a piece of structure, and you can bring a uh, spinnerbait you know, parallel with logs in that top part of the water column, and they're going to just absolutely annihilate it. Well, you know, and, and one thing, and I want you to comment on this, Aaron, and that we found uh, this particular pond, like I say, we'd fished it many times, and it had its kind of honey holes, its little points and its little uh, timbered areas. But the one thing about this particular trip, and, of course, we have to also consider that we're shifting into fall here and that the weathers are, temp- are cooling. But, but as far as establishing a pattern on these particular bass, they were scattered all over the place. We caught some in just inches of water next to the uh, next to the bank, and then we caught some just sort of suspended out in the very middle. And uh, it kind of makes me think of that uh, that concept of when you get high water in a lake, you get all this crazy new water to fish, and the fish seem to spread out. Uh, uh, and I think I don't know. I think that's sort of the kind of thing we were looking at. Well, I think you're exactly right, and I had first-hand experience with that uh, over this past weekend. I fished a little deal on Table Rock Lake, and as you well know, while you were gone, uh, I mean, we got pummeled. The lake on Friday came up Friday night, between Friday night and Saturday, came up uh, a little over three feet. And, of course, the fish that, uh, you know, I was targeting and doing very well was a cold, nasty, northeast wind, rainy day, overcast, Mm -hmm. catching smallmouth, you know, on on some of those points. But then the lake came up, and, you know, what I found was my eyes visually were relating to the bank line. But what I kept noticing is by looking at my GPS from the day before and the routes that I were taking, um, I was getting sucked in. And I was actually sitting over top of the fish, so I really had to concentrate, make a conscious decision to stay back out there because those bass had not adjusted. Yet. Well, that, man, that is so true. And then that's just another point where your electronics are absolutely critical. Now, on your fish, where were you catching your fish on, uh, on in this tournament? Well, I was actually started out uh, during practice, was uh, keying in on... Um you know, just backs uh, kind of transition secondary points like we talked about. Um, normally had some transition uh, banks. Was actually throwing a, a wake bait on top earlier in the morning all the way at the backs of the coves anywhere where the pea gravel went to maybe some chunk rock. Uh, but bait fish obviously had to be present. And then um, kind of as the day progressed, you know me, I picked up that uh, that football jig, um, went to work there, and then also a shaky head. Can't forget that. But then actually come tournament day, you know, the conditions obviously reversed. 
Thursday had a high pressure system set in, and uh, this is where I kicked myself because you know I'm just to show you I'm as guilty as everybody else. I had practiced uh, kind of a week before, knowing we talk a lot about those docks, you know, and how bass will rely on fish, uh, or bass will rely rather on docks to kind of stage under during those bright, sunny, clear water conditions. And um, anyway, I didn't make the adjustment quick enough. That's actually where the tournament was one and uh, the individual that actually won it won by a substantial margin of five pounds uh, which is mm. which is pretty strong but uh, we went in still still caught keepers and still um, did what I needed to do but it just wasn't good enough oh man table rock you know I know you do pretty good down there I figured you'd win does this mean you're not gonna be buying the beer next time we see each other? <laughs> yeah that's, that's gonna be uh, somebody owes me that that one and actually a good friend of mine J.R. Isom is actually who won it but uh, you know I, I I just um it's just one of those things where you look back and I, I think what it was that uh you know I was just trying to force feed the fish and just did not mm-hmm. I, I got so wrapped up on on catching those smallmouth and you know how fun that is I mean that's hard mm-hmm. to get away from and uh, of course this is a lot of bragging rights kind of a it was just a smaller deal a lot of locals where we get together and kind of all go but right. uh, anyway hey I get to uh, chalk one up for experience well that's then that's the way you got to look at it and like you say every time you're on the water you learn something but well, I tell you what. Let's let's take a quick break here and come back and let old James Niggermeyer tell has tell us how to catch fish in this high water. Power, productivity, speed. It's the best trencher ever made. Not to mention the best plow, dumper, tiller, backhoe, stump grinder, and tool carrier ever made. The Zon, the revolution, is here. Now you can harness the full power of your boat electronics and catch more fish. Introducing Electronics 101. Whether a beginner or more advanced, leading electronics instructor Mike Webb shows you how to get the most out of any sonar unit. Common problems and frequently asked questions are covered in detail. Electronics 101 also includes bonus deep fishing tips from industry pros. Master any brand graph. Electronics 101. Harness the full power of your boat electronics and catch more fish. I'm Travis Ruley, and you're listening to Bass Edges, The Edge. All right, we are back on The Edge and excited to welcome back James Niggemeyer. James, how in the world are you doing, my friend? I'm doing well. I'm just trying to uh, figure out whether I need to build a, a big boat so we don't float out of here. Boy, I hear that. I, I tell you what, I have had my fair share of having uh, the rain slicks on here the last uh, several weeks, as Steve and I have been talking about. And, you know, with that being said, you know, we're kind of at that time of year that I'm assuming you and uh, Sandy know what you're going to be dressing up for Halloween. <laughs> you know, um, no, not quite sure at all, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I, I like the fact, I, I think it's a great excuse you know when you have kids kind of at that age where they like to trick-or-treat um i kind of use them as as the scapegoat to be able to get my candy and be able to dress up and still participate in the activities well yeah they, they you know it's, i mean when you have kids you can act like a kid and no one cares exactly and that and that, and that i agree with you it's great you know you can you can just enjoy the things that they enjoy right along with them so yeah i, I totally understand what you're saying 
I, I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, speaking of Halloween, um, that's kind of a, a pretty good indicator that the weather is changing. And when you apply that, I guess, to your day on the water, your fishing days, you know, how does that impact you? You know, these days are, you know, when you wake up in the morning and, it, and um, it's still dark until 7 o'clock, you know, you've been up for an hour and the sun still hasn't come up, you know, you definitely recognize you're in the fall. And, and uh, whether, even if the, the cold weather really hasn't set in, you, that's always a great indicator that, you know, the days are getting shorter and, and you know, the wildlife above the water and below the water are definitely taking those cues and making a, making all kinds of changes. It's a lot of transition. And, you know, it's probably one of, it's, it's one of my favorite times in East Texas. Uh, a lot of the humidity gets knocked out of the air, and you get some, some of the cold northerns blow through. The, the air temperature is really nice. It's a great time to be out there fishing. The, the crowds in the lake are diminishing, and most people have traded their rods in for a, for a uh, I mean, tra- yeah, trade the rods in for a shotgun, and, and they're taken to the field and the deer stand, and, and so it's a, you kind of have the run of the lake, and it's, it's a wonderful time to do some running and gunning, and uh, I, I just love fish, fall fishing. It's great. It, you know, it is, James, and, and you kind of bring up a, uh, a good point concerning what you said earlier as far as the cold northern starting to blow through. You know, normally uh, we kind of think as cold fronts as something that really can lock the fish up or um, have an adverse, you know, effect or impact on the outcome of our day. But, you know, this time of year, is, it, that can actually trigger the fish into uh, being favorable in, in their response. Yes. You know, I've had days where it actually has same kind of effect it would in the springtime, but I've also had times in the fall where really um, it just it gets everything stirred up and, and the fish are feeding and, and they're, they recognize, hey, it seems like almost to a degree uh, the middle part of the fall, say not late fall, not early fall, but the middle part of the fall where you start to get those cold fronts coming through, it seems to really kick them into high feeding gear as opposed to um, early fall and late fall almost starts to look like, you know, not none of it's written in stone, but it, it seems like it starts to have a negative effect the later in the year those cold fronts start to come through. But um, they recognize that you know winter's really there, and and yeah, it, it can really get them feeding. It's a great time to to run and gun and fish the schooling fish. They're in the back creek. It's, it's it's a great time to fish shallow, and as you know, that's a, a big thing for I just love. To, uh, to make those short casts and, and fish in that year to five feet of water as much as I can. Well, and, you know, speaking of the time of year, this is the time of year when there's a lot of the, I would say, the regional events and also club championships that are taking place across the country. You know, most of those organizations um, and planners, they, they try and find a, a fairly neutral lake. What, what do we need to be looking for this time of year as, you know, that's kind of coming onto our radar screen? Uh, right now, you know, it seems like um, as I've traveled around and, and fished a couple tournaments in the last couple months, uh, you, you're out of that transition period, and the shad are, the shad have been up shallow for probably, you know, four weeks to a month and a half now, and, and the fish are definitely aware that the schools offshore have broken up. Not that they're not there. You know, there's still brush piles can still play a major um, and structure fishing can still play a major role. But for the most part, you have that fall migration where the backs of the creek, secondary creek, secondary pockets, things like that, 
Um, even main lake pockets can be real big because a lot of the fish don't necessarily migrate all the way back to these long major creek arms, but you have a lot of the shad move up shallow and they're all migrated around the shorelines and, and, and along the weed beds and whatever the docks, if you're in a lake that has primarily has docks like Lake of the Ozarks or something like that, down here in East Texas, a lot of the shad is kind of three quarters of the way back from the creek and along the grass edges and it's a great a great time to get out there, throw spinnerbaits, um, you know, crankbaits, shallow cranking, uh, topwaters. Topwater is one of my favorite topwater times of the year. If the, if the fronts don't get blowing too hard and, and the wind doesn't blow too hard, the topwater pattern can be wonderful. Buzz baits, uh, walking baits, chugging baits, those types of things. And, um, and you know, th that's just a wonderful time of year to be out there and fishing for those fish that are really taking advantage of the shad in a uh, pretty um, – Pretty, uh, per, what am I trying to say? They're, they're in a place where they're easy prey. Sure. And <laughs> no, I, and I think that's, that's a good point. And, you know, when you look at kind of the baits that you mentioned, are, are you going to be focusing kind of in the, the top or, or uh, I guess, upper part of the, of the water column? Yes. Uh, you know, I've done even well just burning spinnerbait. And, you know, when you burn spinnerbait, it, it stays probably less than a foot or two feet of water. And, it's like they they become real accustomed to looking up. The fish recognize the shads up on the surface, and, and the bass actually they suspend, but they suspend kind of in, sh in shallower water, which is where the shad are. And so they start to look up. You've got you know your shallow running crankbaits, your spinnerbaits, your topwater lures, and even jerkbaits to some extent, um, soft jerkbaits and hard jerkbaits. And you know they're looking up. They're they're accustomed to you know day after day of this time of year. Um, that's where their food source is. And, and then again, even your bluegill and your, your crappie, they're, a lot of times they're hanging around the docks. And so a lot of the time, this time of year, you just have a bulk of the forage base in a lake and, and say less than 10 foot of water. And, and the fish know that, they take advantage of that. And, um, I try to, you know, keep my lures in that same zone so that I can be as, as highly effective as I can be while I'm out there on the water. And when you look at kind of this arsenal of baits that you just mentioned, um, how can you give us some direction as far as on color? You know, that was one of the things. Is as soon as I, uh, as soon as you, as soon as I finished that last statement, I was thinking, you know, one of the things that I think gets overlooked is is everyone's thinking fall, we're thinking shad, and then probably secondary, they're thinking they're thinking bluegills, you know, and, and sunfish are up shallow. But really, you know, these bass, they're predators, and they're, they're looking at the baby bass as well. You've had spring where there's a lot of baby bass that have, uh, have been hatched, and they're, out of, and they're running around, and they're trying to feed up for the winter as well. Well, now there's some of them are, you know, as much as four to six inches long, and they're, they're preying on that shad as well. And what happens is they become vulnerable too. They're out there swimming off the bank and chasing the shad, they actually become a forage base themselves, in, them, in and of themselves. Crawdads are another one. You know, as, as you get into some of the lakes that have more grass and more weeds, crawdads are pretty, you know, they're, they'll eat a lot of that grass and vegetation. They'll be around that, and that becomes um, another forage base that, that uh, they take advantage of while they're up there in that really shallow water. So you really have a lot of different options, but I, I would say, you know, anything that's, bait fishy, whether it's a shad imitation or a shiner imitation, but don't forget your sunfish, don't forget your bluegills, and then, you know, a jig is so strong this time of year, especially around 
any kind of horizontal cover or vertical cover like that, you know, pitching a jig with a swimming type trailer. And that's what it what seems to be key for me. I don't want, say, uh, just a regular chunk style trailer with not much action. I want something that's kicking and flailing. You know, striking's got that rage craw. That thing catches a lot of water and it, the pennages are flying and moving. And it's just, that's one of the things I really like in either a pearl color or, you know, if you're using a dark color, black and blue, green pumpkin, something like that. That's something to really uh, take advantage of as well. Well, it sounds to me like this, uh, you know, and, and I think a lot of us know this, but just to reiterate that this is kind of a time of year to where uh, it's it's whatever your liking is as far as what you like to target. You bet. It, it's a, it's a, that's one of the things I think is great about fall is, is you know, if, you, if you're a running gunner, that's a good thing. If you're a guy that likes to come in there and be real methodical and pick apart every available cover type, that can be a good thing too. I think it kind of favors a little bit the guy that covers more water because you can what what when when in turns happens is you you encounter more areas of feeding fish, you know, and and so as you cover more water, the percentage goes up that you're going to come across an area that they're really chowing, and and that's a good thing, obviously, you don't want to take advantage of those fish while they're you know, while they're feeding, and and so. Uh, it probably is a, you know, in the springtime, I'd lean towards more staying put and waiting for that water temperature to rise, and you know fish are in a given area where you have a good idea of that, um, and you could sit down and really just, you know, bide your time there. But in the fall, I think moving around and try to find those fish that are feeding is, is key. Well, James, that's certainly a good point. And, you know, one of the things that you, and, and I guess we kind of alluded to a little bit earlier, is that this is traditionally the time of year, uh, you know, for fall rains. And the Midwest has, has certainly seen its fair share. I think, matter of fact, I think it's raining at both locations as we speak right now. But how do you approach a body of water when it is on the rise, uh, given the fact of this new flux of water that's coming in? You know, uh, some people will think that the dirty water in the, in the high running water would be a negative thing. A negative thing, but a lot of times it can be really a good thing. The fish actually take advantage of that current flowing through there. And, and I mean, what I mean guys, by current, I mean just not a, not a ton, not a raging river, but if you've got an area that typically in the back of a pocket or up towards the headwaters, where there's a little bit of current and there's some water movement in it, and the water's not like chocolate soup, but I mean, you you know, you still have some a degree of clarity. You could really what it what it does it it masks up. They don't can't see the boat as well, and they can't see the imperfection in, in the in the presentations that we have. And you can start to go fish a little bit more Bubba style when heavier lines and and big old you know double Colorado spinner baits and stuff like that. And you use that to your advantage. The things that I would say. Well, if there is some current or some water movement in the lake, is they're letting them out of the out of the dam, letting water out of the dam to make room for other water coming in. Is is look at stuff differently than you would. It cover won't just be covered to you, but current breaks now. Fish are going to set up behind logs and and uh, dock pilings and different things like that. So you want to look at those as, as potential current breaks and and kind of fish like if you've done any trout fishing in a in a trout stream. You want to bring your presentation with the current to the object that would be the, the current break. Even just a little rocky outcropping on, a, on an otherwise just straight bank, that can be a real good key area to, to pick up a few good fish. And um, a lot of the fall stuff is still really going to work, but now you, you've got another thing that's in the mix with this high, high water and all the rain that we're getting. Um, even down here in East Texas, everything's quite full and all the, all the headwaters are out of its banks and 
Um, you've got a degree of uh, stained water to deal with as well. So it, it can be a really good thing. Um, I think a lot of times guys are like, man, the hot water's high and it's muddy and they're, they, they just, they're discouraged. But take what, what you have and, and recognize there can be some big positives in what you have uh, to deal with. Well, and, and certainly that is, uh, I think, the, the gospel when it comes to fishing is taking what you have and the conditions that were dealt. And, you know, I, I guess the, the next question is, so would you spend more time, you know, towards the, the headwaters or maybe down towards uh, closer to the dam and, and to the tailwaters? Or does it all depend? It, it would be dependent as well. Um, you know, I think that if you have – the headwaters are great, I think, or the backs of the, the very – far ends of the lake, away from the dam, can be a real good area to be, especially in the fall and things like that. Things just get kicked into high gear that way. Um, you don't have as much of deep water access or, or just the whole variable of deep water isn't as, as readily available on those types of areas. And the fish um, are, they're in a zone that, you know, just on an average cast, or you're going to show your fish, your bait some more fish. And that's a great place to be if, it's not completely just blown out mud and um, and things aren't just torn up from high running water. So otherwise, you know, the other thing is down big main grass flats down by the dam can be great for, uh, you know, things like areas like that where you have the, the fall pattern is kicked into high gear and you've got the same thing going way up lake as you do down by the dam. And, and um, so you have, you can definitely... I would I would suggest that a, that a guy really goes out and eliminates first what they are most comfortable with. If they like being in the back of the, in the back of a pocket and mixing it in the mud, then then go check that out. But if they like, you know, clearer water, um, more static conditions, different things like that, then maybe down by the dam is where they need to be. But it, just eliminate what you're most confident in, and then go from there. Well, you know, this time of year, as well as with the spring, is certainly, I think, prone to seeing some quick um, fluctuations in the rise of the water when we have these type of rains. What has been your experience with the amount of time that it takes fish to adjust kind of into the newly flooded areas? You know, Aaron, that's a great question. I've seen it where they adjust immediately, and then I've seen it where the water's in, in, in the trees and in the cover for a couple, two, three days before they even make that adjustment. They're still out in front of it. And I wondered that myself is, is, you know, what's the general rule of thumb? I think, you know, like anything in fishing, you just got to, you have to just test it. You have to go out there and, uh, you know, trial and error and just see, okay, you fish maybe for a half hour, half the day even, trying to eliminate the fact that maybe they're deep back in the cover that's newly flooded. And if that doesn't work, then back off the bank and, uh, Fish kind of where the where the old bank line would be, and, and just fish what you would normally fish, or fish the way you would normally fish um, if the water was at normal pool, and and just let those fish talk to you, let them tell you what they want, you know, and then and then if you're on fish already, and all of a sudden the bite kind of goes slack, well then go back up there and make sure that they haven't moved into that newly flooded cover because they they can just make that adjustment. And they're just not going to say much about it until you figure out where they've, where they've moved to. So that's, that's probably the key is, you know, being flexible and, and allowing, you know, allowing yourself to uh, make that adjustment instead of, you know, just saying, well, I've been catching them here the last two hours. They've got to still be here. Well, they don't necessarily still have to be there. And, um, 
you know, adjusting adjusting to that can be can be all the difference in um, staying on the fish or uh, or not. Well, and you know that is one of the downsides is is that the newly flooded areas you know really increases the space that the bass have to roam. And I would love to get your thoughts on how you kind of effectively cover you know all this newfound water. You know, the other thing about that is uh, is that they tend to scatter, and so the the thing that kind of gels them or brings them all together is the is the food source, and, and typically if it's shad, and that's uh, that's something that you you can um, you can have more of a concentration effect of fish in an area versus when it gets just highly flooded everywhere and the fish scatter out. What I tend to do when the water's really high is I try to I really try to cover as much water as I can without being ineffective or inefficient. Um, I want to I want to be throwing moving type baits, throwing reaction type baits. Uh, covering as much water as I can until at least I get a bite. And then once I get a bite, I want to kind of slow down and, and, and just figure out, try to figure out or understand what it is that first fish told me. And it's a lot like any other fishing. You know, you're, you're wanting to move around. But I, even more so that time of year when there's high water like that, it seems like, it seems like you, when the water's that high, it looks like you can take a 100-acre lake and it seems like it's just turning into 300 acres. And it just, it can look kind of menacing, but... Um, so you want to just be able to, there's so much more cover and so much more, um, stuff available to you once the water moves and gets highly flooded like that. So I try to just cover a lot of water and, and covering a lot of water, typically I like to fish reaction bait, but it doesn't always necessarily mean that, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's slowing down and fishing a jig. And what I mean by that slowing down in the way I fish it, but still moving quite a bit with the trolling motor, you know, still moving. Um, covering water, but fishing slow. And um, sometimes the, the water is more off color and the fish can't see it from a longer distance, so you want to be able to really make sure your presentation is being known in their, in their zone. So that's, but the key thing, again, in the fall is trying to find out where I feel, is, is where that bait's located, where the most feeding activity is, is taking place, and then taking advantage of that. Well, certainly all good stuff. Final question, uh, you know, Steve Brigman, he's a little bit lazy. He wants to know if he can borrow a jersey and dress up as you for Halloween if you happen to have a, you know, 3XL in a jersey size for you. I'll, I'll overnight it to him tomorrow. <laughs> well, uh, I don't know that I have one that big, but he absolutely can wear it as one of my jerseys. Yeah, he, he can wear it as a short sleeve version. So, But uh, unfortunately, we have officially veered off into useless information, so uh, we'll shut it down, take a quick break. James, thanks again for spending time with us here, and uh, look forward to talking with you again soon. Hey, Aaron, thanks for having me on Bass Edge, and I just want to encourage everybody to go over to BassEdge.com and, and uh, check the, the Ask the Pros section and um we'd love to hear from you guys now you can order bass edge seasons one and two on dvd own the best resource for tips and techniques in bass fishing is host aaron martin tackles lakes across the country with the industry's top pro anglers including edwin evers boyd duckett alton jones and pam martin wells the two sets include all 25 episodes with never before seen footage over three hours of bonus pro angler interviews bloopers and highlights each two disc set is just 19.95 call 1-888-390-8780 or order online at bassedge.com
Well, it's pretty, pretty, very funny about the jersey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I might have a little trouble squeezing into anything that James can wear. Well, look at it this way. One thing about it, you'd be fairly aerodynamic when you're going down the lake. You know, you wouldn't have to worry <laughs> about any wind drag. Well, I tell you what, no, the, 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 you make the shirt bigger, the shirt doesn't make you smaller. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be like me trying to get in a wetsuit. That is a visual image none of us need to picture right now. <laughs> yeah, that's that's for sure. Well, uh, I guess James sort of talked about some of the stuff we talked about earlier, some of the same problems I ran into uh, here the other, other day, but... Uh, and, you know, it didn't work out great for us, but, you know, high water can be sort of a curse or sort of a blessing. It can, and I thought he did a, a, a very good job of, of really kind of explaining the two and, and how he breaks it down, and I thought, uh, you know, his point that, hey, you, you really can't get locked in on anything, you know, the question as far as how long or how much time do you give the bass um, to actually transition maybe into the newly flooded areas, mm-hmm. um, you know, he honestly kind of, told us straight up he said i don't know he said you've, you've got to check he said if you were out maybe the day before and you were catching a little bit deeper now all of a sudden you're not getting a bite make sure you move in shallow or, or vice versa but he said if you're just coming in and it's newly flooded you know make sure that that's where the seasonal patterns and doing kind of your homework and your your uh, research ahead of time are going to give you some clues at least where to start and then obviously you can always move in shallow well, that that's so true because I mean, let's face it. I mean, sometimes hollow water can just be great. I mean, you know, flood up into the trees, the fish moving there to feed, and they're very, very active and aggressive. But uh, but that you know, that's a good point James makes because uh, let's face it. Anytime you get high water on any lake or any condition, it's never exactly the same, and you just really have to keep a very open mind. To be, uh, you know, uh, and be willing to change and experiment to figure out what the fish, how they're acting, and 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 how they want to bite on any particular situation. Absolutely, and you know, I think one term that I probably totally overuse, but I keep going back to it, regardless if it's high water, if it's weather, or even in our personal situation, Steve, is going to be stability. You know, even humans like stability, whether it be in their schedules or their finances or things like that. Mm -hmm. You know, bass are no different. And I look for when, uh, you know, obviously have this sudden change in weather or this condition that we're speaking of, in this case, obviously high water. But once that begins to stabilize, that usually is a pretty good indicator to myself to where I'm going to then cause myself to make that transition, start checking some other areas, other things that uh, I wasn't doing previously. Yeah, you're so right, and uh, we talk about this all the time. Maybe one day I'll actually get out there and do it. <laughs> <laughs> now, now saying it and doing it, now I, I don't claim no, I don't claim that I'm that good. I was just proud I was able to catch some fish in the in that muddy water last week. But, yeah. So, uh, well, anyway, Aaron, we got a got an interesting question here. I think it sort of kind of relates to a, a place that you've been, and it's from Bob. His question is. As a soon-to-be college graduate, it seems difficult to find a job that will let me fish and at the same time start a fishing career. Do you have any advice? Well, uh, Bob presents a a very good question. I think uh, certainly one that I was faced with uh, right out of college just because of the love of the outdoors and and most of us are faced with. But first off, 
Bob, what I'd like to tell you is I think by you know pursuing your degree uh, in college, having something to uh, that's going to complement your efforts and also something to fall back on like we speak about so many times, that's the first part. Um, you know, speaking as far as starting a career, obviously there are different phases of a person's career, especially when it comes to fishing. And one of the things that I looked at is um, college was first and foremost the top priority. And I really tried uh, going and fishing not only uh, small club tournaments, getting involved in that, but also entering pro-am tournaments, you know, getting that learning, Mm -hmm. uh, being exposed to multiple anglers, different bodies of water, those type of things. And that was always done on the weekends. So non-boaters present very good opportunities um, to be able to do that. Now, once you move, obviously, into the front of the boat, you know, you've just got to pick. Pick your events and, and pick how much you you can actually fish because work, when you do attain that job and you're trying to kind of do both, you know, we all know we only have so much time. We only have so much mental capacity. If you're out there on the water and you're thinking about, oh, my gosh, you know, I've only got two weeks of vacation and how am I going to spend this or I need to be at work paying my bills to be able to be out here. That is a mental pattern that I would really caution you on. And that's why I always go back to really Dr. Jay McNamara's book, The Psychology of Exceptional Fishing, because he speaks about developing that plan, coming up with goals, Mm -hmm. coming up with that schedule. Because once you have a plan, once you have that system and you understand that, you know exactly what you're working toward. And it takes a lot of that mental stress out of it. Well, and I might add to Bob, too, that like if you want a career in fishing, it's very important for you to understand that catching fish and being in your boat is just a portion of that and actually less than half. As a professional fisherman, you're going to be more of a marketer and a spokesman for your uh, sponsors and a salesman, so to speak. So uh, when you're preparing for this career, uh, you know, you want to study, you know, marketing in college or something along that lines, and then consider that when you get your job. You need to to develop your skills in being in front of people. You need to develop your skills as far as public speaking. So you might consider uh, a job that will help you develop these. I'll be honest with you, Bob, there's not many 22-year-olds that are going to come out of school uh, with the kind of maturity and the kind that, companies want to represent them. So you've got a developmental stage in there anyway. So use, you know, maybe you can pick a career, a job that will help you develop these marketing and and, and public speaking skills uh, so that when you get in, say, your late 20s, you might be ready to make that transition over into a full-time fishing career. Yeah, great point there. And, and, you know, Steve, I kind of break it down a lot like if, if we look at the professional sports teams that are out there they have a farm system you know in baseball you have you know the rookie league Mm -hmm. and you have single a double a triple a all those types of things those are there for a reason and and your tournament organizations like flw bass some of your local and regional events they have that same system to where you can start out you know on the weekend series or the bfl and work your way up through you know the strands all the way up to you know the opens and the and the eventually the elite season elite series and i think by spending your time there and also i think one of the things you know like you said you have to focus on developing that business acumen if you don't have that you know there's very few people that actually make a living with the rod and reel in hand and that's why i think 
too many times, we leave the back seat of that boat as a co-angler and a, as a student, because we all know we're always a student of this sport way too early, and because that will help us develop our fundamental skills while we're kind of uh, you know, applying our attention on the things that's going to make us money, which in this case, like you said, is going to be the marketing and the business part of it. Well, that's good advice, and it's an exciting time for Bob, and, and we wish him the luck. It's always great to hear from, from you, but, uh, but we got to take a break here. And uh, we'll be right back from the edge. You know the importance of protecting your investments. So why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. Keel Guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. Keel Guard Keel Protectors. Welcome back to The Edge. Brought to you in part by Ditch Witches On. Establishing a new standard in trencher power and versatility. Well, Aaron, before we close up shop here, uh, we do have a, win- a prize winner this week. Well, fantastic. Who is it and what are we giving away, Steve? Well... We're going to give Rick from Sock Rapids, Minnesota, a Season 2 DVD set and a Bass Edge decal so he can wear the Bass Edge colors proudly. Well, congratulations, Rick, and it just kind of goes to show you, Steve, I know you're still trying to get your name in that list, but uh, (laughs) I I think the the official, um, you know, screening, it gets thrown out in the process. Well, I'm good this week because I actually have a season two set of DVDs. Oh, I got you. I got you. So we're good. But but, uh, we're going to have some great giveaways coming up, and we want to encourage everybody to send in uh, for those prize giveaways. Yeah, and not only the prize giveaways, Steve, but the other thing is I know that uh, a lot of the anglers uh, love answering questions like James had mentioned it there at the end Mm -hmm. of his interview. He loves to hear from people, loves to receive those questions. So if you have any questions out there, you know, we're doing our best to stay on top of them. Send those in. We'll get them answered and uh, get that out in a timely fashion. Well, but that's it for today, Aaron. I know. Time flies, but uh, be sure to look for us on Bass Edge Television, seen each and every day on the World Fishing Network. Also, log on to BassEdge.com for the latest tips from the top pros. Until next time, I am Aaron Martin, and for Steve Brigman and the rest of the Bass Edge crew, we look forward to seeing you next week right here on The Edge. Bass Edge has been brought to you in part by Ditch Witch, MegaWare Keel Guard, O'Reilly Auto Parts, Super Start Batteries, Mother's Polishes, Waxes and Cleaners, and Legend Boats. For more information on Bass Edge, including our television show, training materials, e-newsletter, and podcast, please visit www.bassedge.com. Be sure to join us next week on The Edge.